his luxurious love, his tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have.
so thankful Lord Jesus you are the Holy One of Israel we can approach you Lord you've given us access to your throne you said we could come boldly before your throne to obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need Lord we need your mercy every day we need your grace every day and Lord Jesus we exalt your name your name is above everything it's above every sickness, every disease, every infirmity, every weakness. It's above all wickedness. Your name is the greatest name, the name of Jesus. We lift up your name, Lord. Oh, just lift up his name today. Lift up his name today. Praise his name. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Oh, we bless you. We praise you. We magnify you. We honor you. We glorify you. We exalt you. We love you, Lord Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And Lord, we're so grateful that you are here in our midst. And we just thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. you here on purpose for I have a good plan to make you a better man to give you strength to stand to do all that you can do for I have empowered you I have called you and I love you hallelujah You believe that you're called? You believe that you're loved? He does. He loves you with an everlasting love. His love never fails. He helps us when we need it most. Amen? Glory to God. How many are thankful for Jesus today? Amen. How many appreciate the worship team? Amen. Don't they do a great job? I may love Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, you may have your seats. God is making us into world changers, isn't he? You guys are ready to change the world. You know, Jesus started off with 12. Then he grew to 70, right? And then in the day of Pentecost, they had 120. And then in one day, they went from 120 to 3,120. Amen? So uh, even if what you have, what you think is small, you give it to Jesus and he makes it big. He multiplies it. And I just want you to remind you that um, if you haven't already or you desire to, you can give. 
You know, the Bible says that God multiplies seed sown. He doesn't multiply seed kept. Right? He multiplies seed that's sown. So you can give uh, you can give here today anytime. We got a container there and a co- the wooden containers by the bookstore and by that and um I want to make mention that uh, our awesome Air Force youth group, uh, if you're a coffee drinker, they have some awesome coffee. I, I drink that coffee. It's really good coffee. And they have some, uh, uh, I think, peanut butter eggs or something like that. You can check that out. You know, a little sweet with your coffee. Amen. Uh, if you want to purchase uh, Cal's book, you can. It's for available for $12. And... Uh, I'd encourage you to get it, and then we have all kinds of stuff in our bookstore as well. You can check that out. Amen? Well, it is my distinct privilege this morning as your host to introduce to you a world changer. And uh, I'm going to read something from the back of his book, and it says, A young farmer's son from New Zealand finds himself in exciting and sometimes frightening situations in the far jungles and cities of Asia. His diverse travels take him to slums and red light districts of Asia's megacities, remote islands of the Pacific, and the world's most modern cities. He, he describes the thrill and excitement of hearing God's voice, the miracle of leading lost tribes to Christ, and discipling the nations. And uh, he happens to be my brother-in-law, Kel Steiner, married to my sister, who, by the way, led me to the Lord. And uh, he's the father of three children. He has uh, two sons, John Michael and uh, Joshua, and a daughter, Carissa. And he currently lives in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He's only lived in the States, in Colorado and Myrtle Beach. Everywhere else has been around the world. And uh, we're, we're so blessed and glad to have him here. And uh, he's going to be speaking tomorrow at our church. So if you just can't get enough of him, come on tomorrow. Amen. 10 o'clock right here at VCF. So I want you to give a warm uh, everyday hero welcome to my brother-in-law, Kel Steiner, as he comes and ministers the word. Amen. very fun to be with you folks this morning and thank you for the welcome Doug I grew up uh, on a dairy farm so uh, we were eight children in my family and uh, I had never remotely thought of myself flipping around the world like I have I was on one of the flights one time and uh, I happened to have a bunch of my old passports and uh, I was a little bored and I thought oh I'll just flip through these and and see how many countries we've been to (laughs) and I'm not sure I got all the countries but we're around about 80 countries that uh, 
I've been privileged to be in and sharing the gospel. So in my early, my early years uh, out uh, on the field, I really didn't, uh, we barely knew what we were doing, you know. I was 23 years of age. I came off a, a dairy farm. I'd gone through a missionary training college in New Zealand, but they didn't have a clue about teaching, you know, reaching unreached tribes in the jungle. So there was no training for such things. And I found myself, you know, in, uh, in, a, in a need to be able to hear from heaven and, uh, and do what the Father says. So I want to talk a little bit with you this morning I'm just going to kind of ramble, if that's all right, <laughs> and, uh, and, and just wander through the, the processes, you know, of, of being able to hear God's voice, because an awful lot of people may have been in the kingdom of God for a long time, and, and they're not sure that they've actually heard God's voice. They say things like, well, maybe I have, or perhaps I did and I didn't realize it, or maybe, uh, you know... I've been hearing God's voice all along, and, and I wasn't aware of it. So there's, there's lots of shades in, uh, in where the people of God are as it relates to hearing God's voice. It's important that we know that we hear God's voice, because how can we do what we're being instructed from heaven to do if we don't know what it is? So, Jesus said that he only spoke the words that his father gave him. So, he was engaged all the time. But I think part of the, the blessing of hearing God's voice is staying engaged, church. It's, it's listening and hearing. It's, it's being intentional to hear God and to listen to him, to hear what he has to say to us through God's word. There are many ways God speaks to us, as you are aware. But sometimes, you know, it's uh, because you're in his presence that he makes his will known to you. And we don't always, uh, yeah, sometimes it will catch you by surprise. And so one of my early times, and that's is one of the stories that's in the book, was when I was traveling to a, uh, uh, the Subic Bay in the, United, uh, the USA's largest naval base outside of the USA at that time happened to be in the Philippines. And uh, so you had the naval base here and about 40 miles to the other side there was Clark Air Base, which was your largest US air base outside of the mainland. And so you had these two huge naval and, and air force bases. And I'd been asked if I would come and speak uh, on evangelism to some of the local church pastors because they were concerned about the huge amount of Americans that were coming in off uh, one destroyer, you know, would come in and offload 5,000 sailors. And so uh, Subic Bay was associated with, with a Longapo city. And the Longapo was, was then known as the Sin City of Asia. They had about 30,000 prostitutes uh, that basically was the ebb and flow of the finance of that city. And so when American sailors would come in, of course, they were there to welcome them. 
So they wanted uh, someone to help them, you know, evangelize both the American sailors coming off the ships and, uh, and these girls that uh, many of them were not prostitutes because of choice. They were just young girls and, you know, they would have what they called in the Philippines uh, a mama son. And this would be a sophisticated woman usually from Manila City dressed in, uh, you know, uh, appropriate dress that, uh, that that executives would wear and she would go to the more remote parts of the Philippines uh, where they were rice farmers and so on subsistence farmers of course uh, being a Catholic country by tradition they did not practice family planning at all and so the average family was anywhere from 12 children and upwards so they would be struggling to feed their kids struggling to to put food on their table from day to day so this sophisticated woman would come in and she would say look if you would give me your daughters that's over the age of 12 she said I'll take them to Manila I'll give them a, a job and we will send money to you every month to help you feed the rest of the family and so we'll look after her, we'll, and so she was very convincing and she looked very trustworthy. So they would give their daughters to her and she would take them and put them into prostitution. So when we would hit these places, uh, we would sometimes uh, mount what was literally uh, a rescue situation for these girls and we would go to the bars where the girls were and many times they were behind bars like you would put a tiger and the guys would just come through and point to that one or to that one you see and uh, so we would ask the girls from outside the cage uh, do you want to be here we kind of whispered do you want to be here and the, and, and the girls would, would shake their heads they didn't uh, we would then set up uh, a distraction so that we would do something, <laughs> create a, a bit of chaos, uh, which we were good at. <laughs> and while that was going on, and we distracted those who were in charge of the girls, we would get one of the girls and get her out of there. And so we rescued literally, I don't know, maybe uh, while we were there, while I was there, probably at least 200 girls out of those situations and we would take them to a halfway house we would then have doctors to meet the girls and take care of of their needs physically and we would uh, lead them to Jesus of course and then put them through a training program so they could get a decent job that they could still send money back to their families but they would be doing it uh, having been redeemed and made whole again uh, so this was part of what life was like in Olongapo City it was uh, a place uh, that the devil had taken hold of and, um, and brought mankind to a very low ebb. So heading towards this city this day, I'm uh, in a borrowed old Chevy station wagon, um, Canadian couple who had gone on six-week uh, furlough back to Canada, uh, said, you can use this, Cal, while, while I'm gone. So I'm heading down there to do this evangelism, and I'd switched on the, the radio, you know, and, 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 and uh, thinking about the evangelism, the training that we were going to be doing. And, and the, the radio starts to, to 
make a strange noise, you know, like, not like we were losing the station, because that kind of fades out and another one comes in. But this kind of, you know, kind of strange noise. And then all of a sudden, over top uh, comes this man's voice. And, and it's a, a, a pilot who's flying round and round in the jungle. And it was the practice in those days for the American uh, uh, military. They would fly their guys out into different parts of the jungle and drop them by parachute. And they would have three days then to, to get to a pickup point and they had to live uh, in the jungle uh, for those three days. So they were always plotting a new location where they were going to drop the next bunch by parachute. And this guy happens to be flying around in part of the jungle they'd not been before, and he spots a tribe. And so he's talking uh, back to ground control, and he's saying, you know, we found a, a tribe we didn't know was, was out here. And he starts to describe that tribe, and the, the, he says they've got teepee huts like American Indians. And he said, they're all on this ledge on the mountain. So the mountain went up, then there was like this plateau, and then the mountain continued on up. And, uh, and they were all on that plateau. He said, we can see people moving around. He said, there's, uh, uh, there's smoke coming up. They must be cooking something. But, uh, of course, he had no idea who they were, what language they spoke, where they'd come from, how come they were there. And, uh, and so this was his report going back to ground control. He kept flying around the mountain and, and kept on giving more uh, info about this tribe. Well, I'm listening to this on the radio. You know, some years later, I, I've come across various military guys. They say it's absolutely impossible for you to hear that recording on your radio in the car. They said they would take every precaution that's possible so that military uh, information does not go out there. I said, well, yeah, I believe you. But, but we heard what we heard. And uh, so hearing this, the thought runs through my mind, oh, the socialists and the... Uh, the yeah, all kinds of um, people who think this is a, a great occasion, you know, to send in observers to observe them and cordon it off from everybody else and we're just going to watch them and blah, blah, blah. I thought, i, I got to get there first. And so I did a U-turn in the road. Those days we didn't have cell phones to call the... <laughs> the guys in the longboat to tell them, hey, I've switched direction, I'm not coming. Uh, we couldn't do that. We, we just, uh, I just didn't show up. And uh, I headed for Clark Air Base, where I figured this pilot had come from. And to, to get into an air base is no easy thing, you know. You have to have a pass, which I didn't have. And so the guy says, you know, where's your pass? I said, I, I don't have one. Would you give me one? He said, what's your business? I said, well, I, I want to actually see the, the base commander. He said, uh, do you have an appointment? I, I said, no. He said, what makes you think you can see the base commander if you don't have an appointment? I said, just on the chance, sir, that he'd be willing to see me. And so, you know... 
he doesn't know what to do with somebody like me. And so he said, well, just a minute. He goes back to his little booth, you know, and he grabs a card and he scribbles something on it and said, put this on your dash. And so in I went. So eventually I, I, I get to the commander's office. I mean, it was like a little city inside of the country, about 30,000 people in Clark Air Base. It's a, an enormous outlay. So I'm knocking on his door finally, and, and he says, come in like this. And, and so I open the door, and here he is sitting there, you know, in all of his uh, finery. And, uh, and, and I'm looking like uh, uh, quite something else, because I, I had long blonde hair in those days, and, uh, and a sticky T-shirt that was because you're always sweating. And, uh, and a pair of jeans and flip-flops. So I didn't look remotely like I was in the right place <laughs> in that military complex. <laughs> I stood out like a wart on a bee's knee, you know. And, uh, and so he says, uh, yes, sir, what can I do for you? In a very business kind of way. And uh, I, I said, well, sir, if I could just have five minutes of your time, I, I'd like to tell you something I just heard on the radio, which I believe came from, uh, from your base. So he agrees, and so I, I tell him what I'd heard, and I, I said, you know, I understand that for me to get up to where that tribe is, we would have to pass through the military land. They, they had a large land holding along with this military complex for, uh, I don't know, purposes of keeping the base safe, I suppose. And I said, could, could I have permission, sir, to pass through the military uh, complex to get back up into those mountains. And uh, he thinks for a while, he said, okay. I said, uh, would you help us, sir? He said, well, how would I help you? I said, you know, a four-wheel drive would really cut down the, the trekking. I said, if we could have a four-wheel drive vehicle, that would be uh, incredible. So uh, he says, well, if I was to give you one, when would you need it by? So, you know, I hadn't pre-thought any of this. You've got to <laughs> be hearing something from, from heaven, you know, right off the bat, just like that. And I, so I just said, two in two weeks, sir. And I knew I was going to have to find some interpreters, you see. If we could find that tribe, no one knew what they spoke. So I said, two weeks. He said, I'll have a four-wheel drive here for you in two weeks. He said, uh, it was Saturday, so He said, two weeks Saturday. I said, thank you, sir. He said, will that be all? I, I, I said, uh, no. I said, um, you know, we, we do not know what their medical condition might be. I said, do you think the military would be willing to give us some medical supplies that we could carry with us? Uh, he said, you can have as much as you can carry. He said, will that be all? I said, yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you. I left his office and, uh, and went straight outside and started looking for interpreters for guys who would be willing to come you know it doesn't matter what age we are in our journey along the way uh, God has an adventure for you if you're listening he does so we have some of the guys coming into youth with a mission today and we consider youth to be an attitude that enables me to still be there with youth with a mission you see so if youth is an attitude rather than an age, we have some folks that are much more youthful in their 70s than we've got some in their 30s. Uh, they're full of energy, full of intent, and full of, of uh, uh, loving God and wanting to serve Him and go to foreign places. 
And uh, I'm thinking of one uh, fellow, his name is uh, Fred. He's a U.S. guy. And uh, a little fellow with a goatee. And uh, he was in his early 70s. And he began to hear about unreached people groups. You heard about unreached people groups here? Some of you? Any of you? Let me see a hand if you've heard about unreached people groups. They're people who've never heard the gospel before. They will be called unreached people groups. No one's gone to them. And Jesus said he's not coming back until every tribe and tongue and people have heard the gospel. So this was a charge that he gave to us in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, wasn't it? To go into all the world, yeah, to every people group. So when it talks about nations in the scriptures, it's not talking about geographical locations. It's talking about ethne. The, the word we, we take nation comes from the, the Greek word ethne, which means uh, ethnic. So every ethnic group, every tongue that speaks another language, uh, someone was to go to them and, and pronounce the gospel of the kingdom of God. So we still have a lot of... Uh, Countries that yet need to be reached. So I want to talk about some of that uh, tomorrow night. But uh, here we are with uh, Fred, and he hears about this uh, opportunity to get to an unreached people. He said, I'd like to do that. And so he starts to look, and he hears about an island way out in the remote part of the archipelago of, of Indonesia. Uh, and it's where they have live dragons. Do you know what the name of that island might be? Right, it's Komodo Island. That's a, they're, they're famous for the Komodo dragon. You know, those great big nasty things you, you've probably seen at some point on TV in, in one of their shows. But anyways, the people who live on Komodo are 100% Muslim. No one has ever taken the gospel there. Fred says, I want to go there. And so here he is. I think he was 72 years of age. And he heads off by himself to that island to bring the gospel to the Komodo people. And he arrives there. He can't speak a word, so there's, there's no communication. <laughs> but uh, he does his best to, uh, to love the people and, uh, and, and tries to pick up some, some words, you know. But it's not terribly easy to pick up a language at 72 years of age. Uh, but he does his best. Uh, he stays there and, uh, and then comes back to get supplies because, you know, the, they have no uh, connection with, uh, there's no flights into the island, there, there's no airstrips, nothing like that. It's just a remote part of the archipelago. And, uh, and he's there until today wanting to see whether or not he can't bring this people group to Christ. He's finally managed to raise up a team of two or three uh, who are Indonesians, who do have the language, so he's far further along now than he was. But his dream is that his job's not finished until that island gets to hear and to know that there is a Redeemer. Amen. How about that? 72 years of age. So if you think you're in retirement age, get that thought right out of your head. Because God doesn't give you the privilege of laying down your shoes and, uh, you know, putting your feet up on a rocking chair and saying, goodbye world, I'm, you know, flitting through my twilight and my twilight years. You know, your, your best years can be in front of you if, if you will listen. Because all that God sowed into you up till now uh, makes you that much more capable of imparting truth because you've learned that much. So to whom much has been given, much is 
required, yeah. We, we weren't given the truth and the blessing and the knowledge that, that we have received just so that we could be more spiritual. Yes, if we apply the truth, we will be, but it was given to us to pass on to others. So may it be that you have the joy of doing that. And uh, I'm now out looking for some Filipino guys who would go with me to that tribe. And uh, I have two weeks to find them. Everywhere I went, no Filipino guys would come. This is a sad situation. Do you know, for the last hundred years, 70% of the world's missionaries have been women. So, you know, thank God for them, because 70% less would be achieved on the foreign fields today had it not been for the women that are out there. Only 30% of the workforce on the mission field are guys. And so, until today, that those statistics haven't changed. So, I'm looking for guys. I can't find any. And, uh, and so, two girls came to me, and they said, we want to come. You know, we can speak four mountain languages between us. And, and from those mountains in the back of Clark Air Base, that's where we come from, they said. So, at the end of two weeks, I can find no guys. And those two girls come back and said, did you find any guys? I said, no, I can't find anybody. Well, we want to come, they said. Both of them were around 18 years of age. They were already pastoring a little Assemblies of God church in the lowlands of Pangasinan. And uh, they said, we want to come uh, because we can speak some of those mountain languages and, and maybe we know what that language is. And, and we're good at trekking, they said. We won't slow you down. And so they were giving me all the reasons why they should come. Uh, well, I didn't want girls because I didn't know whether that tribe would, uh, would be angry and, uh, you know, uh, take up arms against us and then I'd have the responsibility of what happens to those girls. I figured guys could look after themselves and I'll take care of myself. But uh, there were no guys. And so finally I said, all right, girls, come. And so we head off. There was, I had one Australian fellow with me and, uh, and those two Filipino girls and, and myself. And so we arrived back at the military at the said time. He had the jeep waiting for us with a driver. And we load up with medical supplies with what space we had left. And into the vehicle we went and out we went through the uh, brush and scrub. And, and uh, far as he could get us up into the foothills of those mountains. And then finally he said, we can't go any further. I'll drop you off here. So he, we, we bundle ourselves out of the four-wheel drive. Then he says, you've got to go due north from here, he said. Be careful of the first tribe that you come to. He said, they're crazy. They just shot one of our military guys this week. So he said, they, they do not welcome anybody, and they don't want visitors. So he said, just stay, uh, be, be warned, he says. But he said, if you're going the right direction, you've got to pass through that tribe. So he <laughs> said, thank you. So off we go. And... Uh, we, we had to traverse very rugged mountains. So I was grateful for the fact, you know, I'd, I'd been an athlete in my early days uh, back in New Zealand, and so I was fit and I was ready for that challenge. And we're going straight up and down mountains through rugged uh, mountain bush. Uh, I think we must have crossed about seven or eight rivers on, on our way into that tribe and having to carry things above our heads to keep them from, you know, getting wet in the river and, uh, and getting the girls across safely. So 
when we finally were getting close to that first tribe, uh, one of the girls goes, shh, like this, you know, and I, I turn around to see why she's telling us to be quiet. We weren't talking anyway. Uh, so we were just, you know, it's hard going through the jungle. We're now towards the end of that first day. And, uh, and she's going, shh. So she just points like this. And so I look up there, and at the top of that ridge that we were going up, almost a vertical incline, is this uh, warrior just standing there with a huge bow and arrow over his shoulder. And uh, I remember his arrow sticking way out, you know, and the, and the bow being way above his head. So it kind of looked a bit odd because he was short, uh, nuggety kind of a, of a warrior. And, and the bow and arrow being so much bigger than himself. So the, one of the, the same girl says to me, you need to say something. I said, I don't know what to say. I said, anyway, I can't speak this language. You say something. And uh, she said, no, he's looking at you. I was in the front of the line, you see, or the three behind me. So I don't know what to say. And what would have you said? Now, here's a warrior standing up there. And so I was intrigued by his bow and arrow. So I just yelled out, give me a demonstration with your bow, I said. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Of course, the girl, uh, she, she yells out in the language she's, she's confident that he speaks. That she knew what language they spoke in that first, that first tribe. So a smile comes on his face, you know, and he just leans down like this and he pulls his big knife off the, off the calf of his leg. And he leans into the jungle and he swipes off a, a, a young suckling banana palm. And so then he makes a hole in the, in the little pathway where he was on that mountainside and he digs that um, banana stalk in there, tramples around it so it stood up straight and then come down the mountainside to where we were. And so now you're looking up the mountain like this. Here's the banana stalk up here. It looks like a toothpick or something from where we were. And I thought, oh, this is crazy. He's never going to hit that, you know. This is not fair. So I said, let's get a bit closer. I want the guy to hit it, you know. I want to be his friend. I don't want to give him a target he can't get. But no, he says, the deal was made from here. He's shooting from here. So he takes his bow like this, you know, and so the bow is sticking in the mountain down on this end here and, and the end sticking up here, way bigger than himself. And the arrow is about five foot long and he maybe we would be lucky if he was five foot high himself. And so he lets that arrow fly and the banana stalk's still standing, see? And so I said, you missed, trying to make light of it. Uh, but no, he shakes his head, he rings, he didn't. I said, yeah, I said, the banana's still standing. And no, he's not going to have that. So he goes like this to me. And so the four of us all head up the mountainside. And when we get to that banana stalk, here's a hole straight through the banana stalk and the arrow sticking in the mountain behind it. And he had nailed that thing. And it had gone straight through, of course. The banana stalk's very succulent, so it was easy penetration. <laughs> I'm very impressed with his marksmanship, and so I tell him, you know, fantastic, you're, you're the guy. Anyways, I said, you know, tonight we've got to sleep somewhere. I said, it's getting to the time we've got to find a camping area somewhere around here for my, uh, my team. I said, but I'd feel really safe if I could stay in your house. So a smile comes on his face. He says, come, 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 he says. So... 
he takes us to his village which was supposed to not like visitors and because we were coming in with him uh, we were made very welcome so the two guys stayed in his little bamboo hut they're not really houses you know they're four poles and then everything else bamboo and thatch so we sleep on the bamboo floor that night the two girls are in another one we get up early the next morning and uh, and continue on our journey so we hit uh, a big python snake on the other way going out and this another one of these warriors had killed that 20 footer they're huge things you know those pythons he wanted to get that back to the village for food and wanted us to help him we said no you deal with the snake yourself we've got other business so we left him with his snake and continued on our, our journey well we we came to a high part in that jungle and wanted to use it for a lookout it was a, one of the mountains that was sticking up higher than all the others and uh, we could see you know a vast area but we could see nothing that uh, indicated life out there so i said let's go around the back of the mountain which we did and i tell you when we got around the back of that mountain we were almost on top of that tribe God had led us right to that point and uh, we, we were in the middle of the jungle we, we had no idea you know, we'd, we'd only needed to take one wrong turn and we would end up you know, who knows where but he led us precisely to that spot and uh, so now we're looking down and there's that plateau just exactly like the pilot had described and all the teepee huts and uh, you know they were the only tribe in the whole country that had teepee style housing there was nowhere else in the country and when I heard that on the radio I thought oh wow they must be a very uh, remote tribe because we'd been from the top to the bottom of the Philippines by that time and there was no housing like that anywhere so we're looking at all these teepees we could see people moving around we see smoke going up we could hear the rumble of, of voices but we couldn't distinguish anything they were saying so I said to the two girls and the, the guy with me we need to come up with a plan and to ask the Lord what should we do now so here was the plan uh, the two girls were to try and make their way up to the tribe uh, because they would less, be less likely to uh, uh, be angry if girls show up than with guys so uh, we said that us two brave guys will stay here and you two girls go up there so uh, when you get there see if you can speak their language if you can then uh, ask if they have any witch doctors if they do then then ask them if they'd be willing to have somebody come and tell them good news so I said if the response is positive to it I said wave your arms above your head like this uh, we'll be able to see you from here and if you wave your arms that will be the cue for us to come so we got the two girls across the river at the bottom and they started heading up through the jungle and we ran back up this side and we could watch the girls progress and prayed for the girls so when they hit the top of that plateau uh, all of a sudden when the tribe saw them they ran away from the, from the girls and got in a long line and just were, were freaked out looking at the two girls because they had as far as we know not even seen another tribe before and so and of course the girls had uh, had dresses on and they'd never seen clothes uh, 
So the whole tribe was completely naked. They had no clothes, neither had they ever seen clothes. They had a few bits of vine for decoration. Some of them did, but, but for the most part, nothing. And, uh, and they're in a long line just looking at the girls. And so the girls keep on calling out to see if they could communicate. And finally they could speak uh, at least part of their language well enough for communication. So they discovered that, yes, there were two witch doctors in the tribe and asked the, the question if <coughs> they would be willing for someone to come and bring them good news. And... Uh, and uh, they, they thought for a long moment about that, actually. And finally, the chief agrees that they, they would be willing for someone to come and tell them good news. So the girls waved their arms above their head, and the two brave boys ran down the mountain over the river and up the other side. So when we hit the plateau where they were, they all ran back further than they already were. And so they, they got to the distance about the width of a football field away from us. And if we tried to get a bit closer so we didn't have to yell so loud, they would all take a step backwards. So if we kept doing that, they were going to end up in the bush and we wouldn't see them. <laughs> so it was established, you know, we were to yell over the distance uh, for any communication that was going to happen. They felt safe from that distance and we were not to get closer. And so... One of the two girls uh, said to me, Kel, uh, now you need to say something. I said, not that again. And uh, she said, yeah, she said, they're, they're waiting for you to, to say something. I said, well, I don't know what to say. We didn't learn any of this in, in Bible college, you know. So I don't know what to say. What would have you said, you know, in a situation like that? I said, to God in my heart I'm yelling out and I tell you instantly like before the word got out of my mouth the Holy Spirit says Romans 1 Kel I said Romans 1 what does it's a very good thing you know to, to learn the word of God because at a point of need he can identify something for you that will be exactly what's right for that moment but if it's not in there, how can the Holy Spirit appeal to it? So Romans 1, what does it say? And I remembered Romans 1 says that one day every man, woman and child is going to have to give an account uh, to God of what they have done with the revelation God's given of himself through creation. And I thought, yeah, they live in creation and instantly... I got an instant sermon from the Lord. Much better than instant noodles or instant rice or these many instant things. Get an instant word from the Lord and it's in season and it's, and it's, and it's appropriate and it's most impacting. And so this was how the word of the Lord was. I said to them, do you like bananas? Of course, this is all going over the, through translation from the girls to end. We're yelling it at a distance. And then the whole tribe says, whoa. So do bananas taste good? Well, they said. Do you know who made bananas? Well, they shook their heads. They didn't know. If God did. Isn't God good? Well, they all said. So what was the only word they ever said? So for, for everything. And so <laughs> they, were, they were cooking uh, bats when we arrived, you know, in a cauldron. Ugly little devilish looking things those bats are. 
and uh, all their membranes and their ugly little faces. You know, when they catch them, they then put them over a fire, and of course they're cold-blooded. And so when they put them over a, a fire, they put them over a fire to singe the fur off them. Then they rub them to get the fur off once they've singed it, and into the cauldron it goes, and it's like an inky uh, brew. Um, and so when, when they hit the fire, because their little teeth go like this, and so when you're looking at the brew that they cook, here's these ugly little faces with their teeth bared looking up at you, you know. Dear Jesus. Anyways. <laughs> do you like bats? Well, the bats taste good. Well, do you know who made bats? Well, they didn't know. God did. Isn't God good? Well, they all said. So we kept on doing this, you know, until we ran out of illustrations of, of things that they ate in the jungle 14, 15 times. Uh, I'd keep asking the girls, what else do they eat? What else do they eat? And we would keep doing this, you see. And so I'd speak, they'd speak, I'd speak, they'd speak. This was their first sermon, very interactive. So I intended a little bit of interaction with you a little bit later this morning. But uh, this was their opportunity. And so uh, at the end when we ran out of illustrations, where do you go from there? So I said to them, well, one day you made the good God sad. Now, why am I talking about the good God all the time for? Because they had two witch doctors. And I knew that everything about the supernatural... Anything at all to do with the supernatural for them was fear and terror. And, uh, and the witch doctors held them in their grip. So I wanted to talk about the good God who was not about fear and terror, who was about love and provision, and who had an answer for them as a tribe. So I said, one day you made the good God sad. Oh, their faces changed, you know. What did we do? to make the good God sad. I listed out a bunch of sin that the Bible says is common to man. I didn't know what sin they were doing, but the Bible uh, says it separates us from him. And so I said, when you engaged in any of these sins, it separated you from the good God, and you got lost. You don't know him anymore. So he sent us to come and tell you that he's always been a good God and he's always cared about you and he wants you to know him and that you should not stay lost and you must not stay separated. Oh, their eyes got bigger. They um, wanted to hear more, so I shared with them more. And the Holy Spirit came down in that little tribe, you know, and the uh, the, the guy who was their chief, he was the biggest of them. And I could see, even from that distance, his chin beginning to quiver, you know. And all of a sudden, he bursts out the loud wail. And he's saying, it's true, we're doing these things, the sins that we had listed. And uh, then another one, and another one. And uh, it, the whole tribe is then, uh, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, saying... It's true, we're doing these things. So I had to get the girls to quieten them down, you know, because they were making a... They didn't just sob, they wailed. And uh, to get them quiet so I could continue. So when we got them quietened down, I, I told them the story of the cross and how, how God came and, and took the penalty instead of them having to uh, take the penalty of sin.
Well, they cried again. Uh, how, why would the good God be that good? So eventually, when we got them quieted down the third time, I shared with them how they could know the good God. They all wanted to, excepting one witch doctor. So that day, uh, in a matter of hours, we led a whole remote tribe that had never seen civilization before to Jesus. Isn't that a miracle? I mean, normally when, when in missions, you are at least a year trying to get culturally accepted into a tribe. And you've got to learn the language. And you, you've got to, to find somebody in the, in the tribe who, uh, who would even uh, welcome you bringing a new idea to them. This all took place in Alice. It's just, uh, I don't know of another story in, in missions like this. So at the end of that time, all of the tribe, uh, when they got saved, immediately they lost their fear of us. And so they began to come towards us. Now, the tribe was all bald, so none of them had hair. And uh, so, you know, I, I took after them. Yeah. So I identified with that tribe. <laughs> and uh, I'd never seen a bald tribe before. But the whole tribe, women and, and children, everybody. So when they came up to us, they were little wee tiny people. And when they got up to us, oh, they smelled something horrific. And, and they actually weren't bald. They all, they all had a thick layer, uh, probably at least half to three quarters of an inch thick of, of uh, like mud that had been smeared on their heads and hardened by the tropical sun. So when you tapped it, it sounded like a terracotta pot. And so the hair could not remotely grow through that, uh, that clay. So I never did find out why they did that. But they were in a mess physically. And, and uh, they smelt something terrible because the witch doctors told them there were evil spirits in the river. And if they went into the river, the evil spirits would get them. So they never bathed. So you could imagine the horrific conditions because there's no uh, running water uh, other than the river. There's no, uh, no toilets, no nothing. So uh, they smelt really bad. And so when they got up close to you, whoo, you wanted to hold your nose, you know. It was, it was terrible. And uh, they would go right around you. They wanted to touch your clothes and rub. They thought we had paint, you know, because we were different color. And so they kept rubbing us to see if the true color was underneath the paint. They wanted to see what color we really were. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, they would be touching the hair. And just everything about us was uh, so freakish and different, like something fell out of it the heavens uh, into their midst and so they were intrigued they would, the whole tribe would go around, right around you touching you and you have to stand there and let them all do this because you were in their place, you were their guest and so you were to uh, be uh, sociable, so we did <laughs> we let the whole tribe uh, come around, touch us and our clothes and everything because they'd never seen anything like that before and one of the guys was scratching his, his, his uh, clay helmet. And I thought, his face looked so uh, uh, painful. I thought, oh, I wonder what's wrong with that poor man. So I went to him to try and break off a piece of that clay helmet. 
uh, and, and it was th more thin at the, at the neckline, so I broke a piece off there, and I could see maggots crawling between his scalp and that clay helmet. So the maggots were all over his head, of course, he's trying to scratch, and he can do nothing about it. So I thought, oh, you poor guy. We have to do something about this. So I said to the two girls, look, us two guys, this is now the next day. I said, we'll, we'll head back to the military. I said, we've got to get supplies to get this stuff off their heads. And uh, I said, the, the girls said, well, we, we want to stay here. So they stayed with the tribe, and we headed back. So we got back to the military, we gave them a brief report and uh, asked them for containers of as much soap and shampoo as they would give us. So they, they gave us these empty four-gallon cans that had cooking oil in them, made holes on both sides and put a handle on it. You know, they were very helpful, the military were. And then they loaded it up with shampoo and soap, and so we both had one in each hand. And now we've got to trek back through the jungle with you know, these heavy buckets uh, over all those rivers and, and make our way back to the tribe eventually. So it's some days by the time we get back there, we don't have the use of a four-wheel drive anymore. And uh, so by the time I get back, the girls tell me, oh, man, they, they've already learned so many scriptures, they only have to hear one about three times and they've memorized it. They said, uh, they all uh, want to just be in school every day, so we're having school every day. I said, what are you talking about having school? They'd never seen paper or, or pencil or pen or nothing, you know. How can you have school? And they said, no, 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 we're, we're just doing this. And so they'd gotten some leaves and they'd, you know, cleaned the, the, the dirt path in the village area. And the girls got a, a stick and they would do a, a letter of their alphabet in the dirt. And then they all got their own sticks and they would follow what she was doing, see. So she taught them their alphabet by the time we got back. And then even one or two of them had managed to, you know, put the letters together that spelt their name. And so they loved school so much they didn't want to go out and, and collect food anymore. They just want to be in school. <laughs> they have a, a chance to learn. So it was, it was truly wonderful. And uh, eventually, you know, I said to the, to the girls, I said, no, I've got a YWAM team. Uh, I, they don't know what's happened to me. I've just gone missing. And there's no way to communicate with them, you see. So I said, I need to get back. And, and the, the girl said, but we don't want to go back. I said, would you please go to the, to the church that we came from and tell them that we're not coming back. We want to be pastors of this tribe and we'll stay here. So those two girls remained in the mountains and became the pastors of that tribe. For several years, they would come out every four or five months and they'd get some supplies from the military base that were very kind to them and they'd head back up again. Well, on one of those trips, the military said, you can't go back anymore. We're, uh, we're afraid of the NPA, the New People's Army, which was fighting the government at that time. Uh, and many bandits had come into those mountains and they said, uh, we're afraid if they see you, they will catch you and hold you for ransom and rape you. I said that we do not want your uh, responsibility on our hands. So they said, we, we can't give you permission to go back anymore. So the girls didn't even have a chance to say, you know, goodbye to the tribe. They just never showed up again. But by that time, we'd managed to get uh, the Gospel of John in their language. And so they could read and write uh, from the two girls' effort 
uh, that they had managed to really bless this tribe with understanding of the word of God. Some 20 years later, that was in 1971 that this took place. 20 years later, 1991, uh, one of the second largest explosions in the last century was Mount Pinatubo. It had been an extinct volcano for 400 years. It came to life and it blew the complete top of the mountain just went straight up into space. It blew it straight up for 30,000 feet into the air. So military and, and commercial flights could not fly through there for two years because it took that long for that volcanic ash to actually come down out of the atmosphere. If it got into the engines of the airplanes, it would uh, destroy them. So the fallout from that volcano, the, a volcanic ash, buried the villages 10 feet deep. And, uh, and so it became like a lunar landscape. You could not see a thing that you could recognize. Every tree was covered. Of course, uh, it killed them all because the trees couldn't breathe. There's no, they all look like uh, naked trees. And, uh, and many of the valleys were filled in, so you couldn't, uh, couldn't recognize the landscape anymore. So we believe that day, that little tribe all went to meet Jesus. So they all came to see, to meet him one day, and then one day they all went to, to be with the Lord. Quite a story, isn't it? Uh, but, but the reason I tell you a story like that is because if we tuned into listening to him, uh, we get to experience God things. And God wants us to be experiencing God things in our life not just to be hearing about God things. So when we walk with him, it's his intention, if we're listening, that we would be alerted. It might be somebody that needs to hear about Jesus, who is your next-door neighbor. It might be somebody in the supermarket that you're next to. But see, we, we think... Uh, we, we aren't thinking heaven, uh, heavenly. We're thinking uh, like uh, yeah, we, we get caught in, in the, the shuffle of life. And, and so it's just another day. But it could be just another miracle. See, what are you expecting? I remember getting onto an air flight one time and I'm assigned my seat and here beside me is sitting this real tough guy. So you know, he's got his shirt sleeves ripped off at the shoulder and he's got one of those huggy shirts so you can see his six pack and he's got a bald head with tattoos all over his head and his arms and rings hanging out from here and there. And, uh, you know, he's, he's got a, a bandana, and I say like an invisible bandana, if you can imagine with me, something that wasn't there, but, but imagining that it is there, and, and it's saying, don't mess with me. See, this is the, the inflection on his face. Don't bother me. Don't mess with me. Don't talk to me. 
leave me alone. So I think to myself, I will mess with you. <laughs> so I immediately sit down and put my hand out and I say, hi, my name's Cal. And uh, he takes my hand, he says, my, my name's Saul. I said, wow, I said, you're the first guy with that name I've, I've ever met. I said, uh, strangely though, I said, I, I read a book and there's a couple of characters in the book with, with your name, Saul. He said, oh, is that so? I said, yeah. I said, what do you do, Saul? He said, I'm a kickboxer. He said, uh, actually, I'm America's champion. So I'm on my way to the Asian championships. If I clean up there, he said, oh, my goal is to be world champion. I said, wow. I said, that's a pretty tough kind of way to, to make a living, getting beaten up all the time. And uh, he said, yeah, well, broken bones in my arms and my ribs and my, most everywhere. I said, uh, he's, he's had broken bones, you know, from his kickboxing. And uh, he said, what do you do? <laughs> well, I'm a fighter too. <laughs> she looks at me, you see. I said, I, I, I fight for men's souls. He says, you want them Christians? Like this. I said, yes, sir, I am. And he said, oh, he said, I used to be one of them once. He said, I, I, I was a born again one. You have heard of them? I said, yeah, I heard of them. And uh, he said, uh, yeah, he said, well, I, I married my sweetheart right out of high school. He said, we were just 18 years of age, and, and um, we had a Bible study in, in our house for five years, he said. One day, he said, I, I came home, and there was a note on the table, and my wife had left me with a baby boy. And he said, uh, I never saw her again. He said, I became bitter and angry and resentful and he said I became a bad man and he kind of looked right at me because we're sitting side by side you see and he's, we're eyeballing him and he said uh, I'm not just a bad man sir I'm a wicked man and I've done many wicked things so I said you know the book that I was talking about that's got your name in it I said one of those souls was doing a lot of bad things. His intentions were right, but what he was doing wasn't what God told him to do. He was putting people in prison and having them killed. They said he had blood on his hands. I said, I don't know if you've got blood on your hands, but he did. And the Holy Spirit came and intercepted him on his way to do more bad stuff. He was blinded and fell to the ground and they had to lead him by hand. I said, you know that story because you studied it for five years. And God sent Ananias to pray for him and got his sight back. But then, instead of becoming a persecutor of the church, he became a fireball for the church. Is that how people recognize you? A fireball for the church? He became one. And I said, do you think it's possible the same Holy Spirit might have sent me here to intercept you today? Because he wants you to come back to him.
And big old tears well up in the tough man's eyes, you know. And uh, I said, what would stop you from coming back to Jesus today? And he just shook his head. He, he had no, no reason. Why not? I said, come on then. Let's recommit to Jesus. Which he did. Uh, you know, I, I could be following a bunch of notes this morning, but I just want to talk to you, not preach to you. I hope that's okay. Because being instant in season and out of seasons, which the Holy Spirit is looking for us to be, and, and being listeners so that we have a word to speak when the moment is there and the opportunity becomes available. Are you ready for that, church? Because listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, uh, it doesn't come like a voice from heaven. That day to Saul on the road to Damascus, it was a voice from heaven, an audible one. Uh, So there was no mistaking what God was saying. Sometimes, you know, for you and I, it's not an audible voice. But it's this strong compulsion inside your spirit as to what is right and what, uh, what needs to be communicated. Amen. Because it's not always, you know, uh, an opportunity for you to stand up and speak to the youth group or to the church or something else, you see. It's not, it's not, it's not an arrangement. And yet, at the same time, it still is an arrangement because God is setting opportunities in front of us everywhere. But if we're not listening, you see, we don't even see them. We don't even see the opportunities. We pass right past them, and and we didn't see them. They're around us everywhere. Opportunities, people who need to know the living God. One of my next-door neighbors uh, lives to the left side of me. His name was Tim. And Tim had a bad case of diabetes, and uh, he had very swollen legs, and, uh, and the legs had broken out into ulcers, and uh, he, he was in a, a bad state. And so the medical people would come, and uh, they'd have them bandaged all the way up to his knee, and, and because they were all ulcerated, the bandages would all be wet uh, with, with the weeping of those ulcers. And so, if they didn't get to him on time, then all his pants would be wet. And because those things were weeping so much, they would fill up his his shoes, so they would be all soggy. And and it was all over the floor in his apartment. He had this big dog, called him Rambo. And, uh, and so he always kept the windows shut and he had an air conditioner on which didn't do a very good job. And so the dog was never allowed outside. He, didn't, he kept it inside all the time. And so all this nasty stuff that was weeping from his legs had gone into, filled his shoes up and now we're all over the floor. So the floor looked all wet and then the dog's walking backwards and forwards through it in the apartment. It, it smelled horrendous. It was terrible. So when the nurses came to him, if they didn't get there on the day that they said they would come, sometimes they would come in the afternoon, not the morning, or they would come the next day and not the afternoon, whatever. 
he would be so angry that he would use foul language. And so the nurse said, I'm, I'm not coming back here. I don't need that abuse. Thank you very much. And so he'd gone through four different facilities in the city till nobody would come to him. He was angry. He was angry about life. He was angry about what had happened to him. He'd been a gang leader, a motorbike gang leader. And, uh, and his mouth was just full of foul language. So I, I said to him one day over the fence, I said, how are you doing today, Tim? He said, no, so-and-so and so-and-so and a bunch of expletives, good. He said, the miller, none of the people will come and, and dress uh, my legs. He said, uh, I said, I'll come. I said, I'm not a nurse, so I don't know anything about medical stuff, but I said, I, 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 could, I could come and help you. Why, why don't I come and help you right now? So I went around the yard and I came into his place. He happened to have some of those big surgical scissors. I don't know where he got those from. But there's no way you could undo those bandages, you see, because they were all stuck together in this goop that was coming out of his ulcers. So I used those scissors to cut all the way up to get those things off his, off his legs in the putrid smell of his apartment. So I finally decided, well, before I do that, I need to clean this floor because I'm not going to kneel down in this mess. So I found a bucket and we did the best we could to clean up the mess and then started dealing with his legs. You know, this went on week after week. So no military, medical people would come anymore. He would uh, go unconscious and be carted off to the hospital. And uh, in the process of all of this, I led Tim to Jesus. Now, he too told me, similar to the man in the airplane, I'm a wicked man. He said, I've just done so many wicked things. He said, Jesus wouldn't want me. I said, yeah, he does. Because he, he asked me to come over here. I, I want to be your friend. I said, so does, so does Jesus. He paid a huge price to be your friend. He, he wants your friendship. He cares about you. And um, he said, yeah, but I've done too many wicked things. I said, no, you haven't. He said, wicked things you may have done. But I said, that's what Jesus paid a great price for, to deal with wickedness. So you could be free. He said, you want to be free? Yeah, of course. So we led Tim back to Jesus. Now he had known him, you know, when he was a little kid, what had led him astray into the, into the whole rest of his journey of his life, I don't know. But uh, one day I went over to see Tim, and he was dead. He was sitting in his chair, and he had, he had gone to be with Jesus. But he may not have gone to be with Jesus had not we walked over the fence, round the fence to the neighbor. What about your neighbors? Do they know Jesus? Do, do you even know what their names are? See, to me, this is being real in, in our world today. It's the challenge of the Holy Spirit to us to be these kinds of people that we had up here. What were they? The, 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 uh, the name for, the, for your weekend? World changes? Yeah, world changes. Because that's our challenge, church. 
to be world changers. Uh, you, you may not change the whole world, but you can change someone in the world. Don't be like the 93% of the church that go to meet Jesus one day with empty hands. Do you know, there's only one thing you can take with you to heaven. That's the souls that you've saved. The 93% of the church is going to meet Jesus with empty hands. I, I, I surely don't want to be one of those. So we must be about the Father's what? Business. business. Yeah, what is his business? Came to seek and to save those that were lost. So we'll take a break here, and then I want to go on to some, uh, some other things. So Jesus, we, we thank you that you care about the lost, so much so that you left uh, heaven and came down to this earth that was full of wickedness and sin in order to redeem it. And we sit here this morning among the redeemed, those who have the privilege of, of knowing you, and then you gave us the privilege of being able to go out like you did and impart the good news to others. And so would you help us, Lord, to be uh, contagious Christians who, like Jeremiah, have the word of God in us and we can't keep it in lest it would burn up our bones, Jeremiah said. A word of God was in me like a fire that would consume my very bones if I did not but speak the word of God. So would you help us, Lord, to be like the one with fire in his belly and we can't help but speak of the good things that God has done for us and so that we would too be among those who go to meet you with our arms full. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's take a, a break uh, for five minutes or whatever, ten minutes, ten, bathroom ten minute break, break, change, yeah. get your posterior up off the chair, and, uh, and we'll, we'll resume. The Lord is my best friend, my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I will never be lonely for you are near. You become my delicious feast. Even when my enemies dare to fight, you anoint me with your fragrance of the Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence and be forever with you. The Lord is my best friend, my shepherd. I always have more than enough. 
He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I will never be lonely, for you are near. You become my delicious feast. Even when my enemies dare to fight, you anoint me with your fragrance of the Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of, you, until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence and be forever with you. is my best friend, my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I will never be lonely, for you are near. You become my delicious feast. Even when my enemies dare to fight, you anoint me with your fragrance of the Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of, you, until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence and be forever with you. is my best friend, my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I will never be lonely, for you are near. You become my delicious feast. Even when my enemies dare to fight, you anoint me with your fragrance of the Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of, you, until my heart overflows. 
So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence and be forever with you. The Lord is my best friend, my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I will never be lonely for you are near. You become my delicious feast. Even when my enemies dare to fight, you anoint me with your fragrance of the Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence and be forever with you. The Lord is my best friend, my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I will never be lonely for you are near. You become my delicious feast. Even when my enemies dare to fight, you anoint me with your fragrance of the Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence and be forever with you. The Lord is my best friend, my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he was stored. We'll get started here. So just some thoughts to, to pass along uh, to you. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Who are the just? We are. Yeah, those who have been justified 
by the blood of Christ. Those who have been justified uh, and made as though we would not sinned. He cleanses us and washes us, makes us clean. And so he says, those are to live by faith. So we are called to be a faith community. And faith is relational. It's, it's a relationship with God is what it is. And it's, it's actually grace that God releases into our lives. That's, that's how faith works. And, and it requires obedience that we are listening to him in order to walk with him. Galatians chapter 5 talks about liberty uh, is being set free from your sin. And uh, I remember when I first gave my life to Jesus, uh, I felt like a bird that had gotten out of a cage, you know. Some people have little cages of their pet bird. And uh, and they left the little door open, and (coughs) here's the little bird, which is me, discovers that the the door's open and out I go and, and I, I fly high and it was like the Holy Spirit was saying Kel don't go back to the cage you've been set free and your place is to fly high so as those who have been set free may it be that we're careful uh, to walk in the liberty that God has given us and we don't return back to the things that he pulled us out of. It's estimated today that 73% of Christians believe that uh, being a Christian is about keeping laws. This is Barnard's uh, research. 73% of Christians believe Christianity is all about keeping laws. Faith is not to do with laws. Faith is about love. Faith is about a relationship. In Isaiah 62, I want us to to read there quickly, verses 4 and 5. Isaiah. And 62. And we'll just take verses 4 and 5. says, Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. But thou shalt be called Hepzibah, and thy land Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall God rejoice over you. So it's a a wonderful thing, is it not, to imagine God rejoicing over us. Sometimes we may not feel like we're uh, giving God the the most uh, reasonable reason to rejoice over us when we've just, uh, you know, perhaps run amok with with an argument or working through an attitude or uh, the issues of life. But he rejoices over us that we have been willing to forsake that old life and not go back there uh, as a place that we would sojourn, but we would walk with him. God rejoices over you. 
you will be called my delight. So, God created us for inclusion. He wanted us in the family. And he wanted, or wants us, uh, day by day, to be walking with him. In John 6, 26, uh, the story of, of uh, having fed the multitude and... Uh, <clears throat> The crowd was basically following Jesus, not because they wanted Jesus, but because they wanted whatever Jesus was willing to give them. They just had their stomachs full of bread and fish and so on. And so they wanted Jesus for what they could get. So they departed from Jesus and never followed him again. Jesus only did the will of the Father and his words came from his fellowship with the Father. And this is why I'm suggesting to you, church, that we need the words from the Father to be coming to us, yeah? They'll come to you sometimes unexpectedly. When we were about to embark on this trip from South Carolina, uh, we were trying to get to a conference, a Youth with a Mission conference um, up in Pennsylvania here, about 40 miles from here where the YWAM base is. Uh, it was a conference for the East Coast uh, YWAM bases, so we're about 200 there. And uh, we wanted to leave around 6 in the morning uh, so that we could have plenty of time to stop on, on the way up and be there by, by 6 in the evening. So... Uh, we managed to get in the car actually by 6.15, which was a miracle. <laughs> and then turned on the, the car. You know, we have a Toyota Avalon, which is a 2005 model, but it's a very faithful car and it's been uh, very good. But uh, to my shock, the car goes like this and uh, like the starter motor or the, or the alternator had gone. And if it can't be the starter motor because we just replaced that, you know, several months ago, it must be the alternator. And so I kept trying it, you know, same thing, same thing, same thing. And finally, I thought, well, uh, we aren't going anywhere. So it's Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, how do you get help on a Sunday morning at 6 o'clock uh, to come to your car? There, there was no way to get any assistance. So I went back inside and said to Kristen, we're, we're stuck here for a while. I said, I'm just going to go and lie down. Uh, until, you know, maybe it's reasonable for us to, you know, maybe 9 o'clock, see if we can get somebody here on a Sunday that can help us get on the road. So I lay down, and when I'm sleeping, I'm having this dream about driving a car somewhere. And, uh, and then at the end of, of that little dream, I'm saying to Kristen, hey, the car's going. And so I wake up with, hey, the car's going. And so I ran outside to see if that was true, if this was from the Lord, turned the key on, and it goes like it always did. And it's continued to until now. <laughs> so he can speak to you through dreams. And, and he, he has no limits as to how he can speak to us if we're tuned in. Isn't that not true, folks? So listening to God and hearing him. Uh, is something we, we must practice. 
So Brother Lawrence wrote a little book one time, you know, he was a Catholic, uh, in a Catholic monastery, and he, and he wrote this little book called Practicing the Presence of God. Now, Brother Lawrence was kind of like, um, he, he didn't have any particular gifts, wasn't a preacher, he wasn't a teacher, he, he wasn't a scholar, he wasn't a writer, he, he just kind of didn't have any particular gifts at all, but he loved Jesus. And so, he decided that he would spend his time uh, being with Jesus, even though he didn't have, in his opinion, any gifts, you see. Now, I don't know what your gifts are, but sometimes we might feel like we're just Joe Blow and we don't have any particular gifts. But I'm very persuaded that God loves the Joe Blow. And he will often pick up on the one who is humble and doesn't see himself as being God's great answer. But, uh, but God has an answer to speak through the lowly. And this man learned to be so close to Jesus, experiencing him in everything he did that people uh, wanted to just be with him because if they could be with him, they felt like they could be with Jesus. Is that how people feel about you? They just want to be with you because there's something about you that's attractive, that's beautiful, that's desirous. You know, when I was attending a, a Sunday school in New Zealand in the countryside where my dad had a farm, there were no churches, and this couple ran an interdenominational Sunday school for all the farmers' kids which we attended. I grew to absolutely love that couple. They were to me uh, Jesus. Those two walked like Jesus. And I, I wanted to be with them. And I could remember sometimes coming home from school, I'd ride my bike to school. Uh, and this is when I'm about 12, I suppose, 12, 13. And I would get to their road gate. They had, uh, they had an orchard, an orange orchard. And so uh, when the oranges were ripe, many times the cars were stopping at night time and they would sneak through the, the fence and through the hedge and they'd you know, fill up a box of oranges and take off. So they were losing some of their crop. So they got this German Shepherd dog which was a police dog that the police couldn't manage anymore. And I don't know how they got a hold of this dog but anyway, they ran uh, a wire which ran the whole length of the orchard, all the road frontage. And, uh, and so it was hooked up, you see, to that, so the dog could run the length of it. And if somebody was sneaking through at night time, they had to contend with the dog. So when they heard the dog was there, suddenly their orange orchard maintained its crop and they, they stopped losing it. Well, I'd come home from school, he said, I just want to be with him just for five minutes, you know, I had home, I had jobs at the farm I had to do when I got home, so it wasn't like I could spend a lot of time, but just, even just five minutes, you see, and I'd stop at the road gate, and I'd look to see where that dog was, and if I thought the dog was too close for me to get across without it getting me, I would have to go on my way home and not, not, 
try, but on the occasion I plucked up enough courage and I thought to myself, I can get across there, even if the dog came, I can still make it. So I boof <laughs> my life across and give the dog a fright with my sudden bolt, you see. <laughs> and I get down there, but it was it was worth contending the dog just to be with what were my spiritual mum and dad. I loved being with them. Uh, this, this is my, my hope for us as God's people, that that's how our neighbours and, and our friends and people would perceive us. They just want to be with us. They don't necessarily want to hear us preach. They don't necessarily want to, they just want to be with us. And, and we're to be like the tree of righteousness, you see, that, that's, that's loaded with, with, with the fruit of the Spirit. And people just want to be, they want to come and they want to pick that fruit, you see. And, and, uh, and when they do, Jesus resupplies you with another load so you never run out. We're here to make God's dreams come true. To live for his joy. And what is God's dream? That all peoples on the earth might come to know him. And this is his dream. Uh, Do you share in his dream? Do you, do you have any unreached people groups that you're praying for? Maybe, maybe you don't have unreached people groups, but, but do you have a name of, of at least someone who's not saved that you're praying for? So, so church, I, I wanted to encourage you today because, see, if, if we were just praying for one person in our community... He comes to know Jesus. If I'm privileged to to come back and share with you again in another year, we should be twice as many. Yeah? What do you say? So if you're a man of prayer and you're praying on a daily basis, I, I hope that's part of your journey. Then make sure you've got a list of people that don't know Jesus on your prayer list. Ask the Lord. You know, I make it a consistent basis that I walk around my neighborhood. I want to get to know their names and then they become my prayer project. All the people in my neighborhood around where I do my prayer walk, they get prayed for. I want them to come to know my Jesus because that's his dream. So share in his dream. Start to think outside of your limitations. You can go with your dreams where your legs may not go. You can go to heaven with those dreams where your legs don't go. What do you say, church? Is this something that we can do? Yeah, something that we can embrace. In John 6, there's a scripture from verses 28 to 40. For sake of time, uh, I won't read that. But it's where Jesus says that he's the bread that came down from heaven. He said, "If, if any man eat of this bread, he would live. 
And, uh, and he's called us into this place, you see, where he becomes our life. He becomes our thoughts. He becomes our dreams. He becomes our reason for living. So I wonder if we could look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And, and I wonder for us at our tables um, to, to read this. And, and I'm just going to give you uh, maybe five minutes to read the scripture around the table and then to discuss among yourselves uh, what you learned. So we do that. So just at your tables, if you've got a table that, that's got too many, go to one of the other tables that's got fewer, fewer people so that we have approximate same amount of people at each table. And then I want to hear from uh, each table. So um, can we get the scripture up? We've got it up there. Thank you. Second Timothy uh, chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. So let's go to it. Read it, and then uh, among yourselves, I want you to, to discuss what do you learn from these two verses. Amen. Could you join this table, brother? Yeah, yeah. Just so, so we have, um, uh, and maybe one from this back table to join this table. Yeah. There we go. All right. So let's just take five minutes then. Read that, that scripture and, and discuss among yourselves what you feel God is saying to you from the scripture. The Lord is my best friend, my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I will never be lonely for you are near. You become my delicious feast. Even when my enemies dare to fight, you anoint me with your fragrance of the Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence and be forever with you. The Lord is my best friend, my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. Lord, even when your
your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness. Fear will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I will never be lonely, for you are near. You become my delicious feast. Even when my enemies dare to fight, you anoint me with your fragrance of the Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence and be forever with you. is my best friend, my shepherd. To, uh, to, to meditate at length, but uh, let's just go around the tables and, and a spokesperson from each table, somebody just tell us something that you, uh, that stood out to you from the scripture. Um, it talks about how scripture is used for multiple purposes, and for you to be a complete man, all purposes of the word have to be applied to your life. Hmm. Good. Yes. Amen. Table two. Uh, Speak in a loud voice so everyone can hear you. Okay. Yeah. Again, the, uh, the word of God is multifaceted. Think of like a toolbox. It's complete for any job that you have. Uh, that, uh, that the man of God uh, can be guided by the word in Excellent. Yeah. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No. No, and if he's, if he's the, the trainer, there's nothing too hard that he gives you and I to do. Yeah, third table. So, um, for us to say in that, the scripture that was inspired by God, the prophets from the Bible were inspired by God to write these scriptures. They were written for us so that we could use it righteousness and like in in verse 17 say that before Christ we were sinners but now with Christ with this scripture being born again as believer that a man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished of all good works Amen Do you feel perfect? In Christ At least perfectly forgiven, huh? (laughs) Amen Yeah, this table so what we got out of it was that if you follow the inspiration and the inspired words from the Holy Spirit from what God says to you and follow his correction and his righteousness, we become a complete man. Good. Amen. It's a good feeling, isn't it, to feel like uh, he's made me to be like him mm-hmm. and to speak on his behalf. Yeah. That's a huge privilege. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like a, a business owner has to make sure that they have all the equipment that their employees need to finish a job. So God has equipped us. And when God corrects us, we shouldn't be disappointed because it's to help us. And we are continually being trained in the way of righteousness, which is the way of, of living in God's kingdom. Good, Doug. Amen.
Amen. We're concluding here in five minutes, so I'm just going to run through a few more thoughts, but it's, it's sometimes very helpful for us to take out a few minutes and just meditate on, on what the scripture has to, to say to us. Um, all scripture, the Bible says, is inspired by God, not just some of it. And so John 1, the, the, the Bible says that um, he spoke the world into existence and, and all the universe and everything that exists just by breathing out the word from his very mouth. Uh, we, we find it a, a great difficulty to, to be able to imagine God and when people say that they can't, uh, you know, who can uh, comprehend Really, none of us can, because none of us are uh, none of us existed from eternity, and so we can't get outside of the confines of uh, of something that begins and something that ends. We live in in a world that has a beginning, which was when we were born, and has an end when we when we pass on. So those, those are the confines that every human uh, lives in. But God lives in eternity, uh, past and present, and, and eternity into the future. And so God doesn't live in time in that sense. He lives outside of it, uh, yet he lives in it as well. And so... You know, for us being finite, we can't get our heads around something that's infinite because we don't go there. We, we, we are stuck with, with time frames, see, where God lives outside of them. And yet, he lives in them as well. So, when we think about uh, God speaking the worlds into existence, education teaches us... Uh, that basically we only believe what we can see. And we call them materialists. We have them teaching in our universities today all over the country. If we had time, I'd get you to do a little meditation on Second Corinthians 3.2 and at least I'll just read you what it says. It says, you are our epistle written in your heart, known and read of all men. Oh God, written as an epistle in your heart. And, and the word of God has come to dwell in you. So that when people meet you, they are meeting uh, Jesus in your two legs, in your body. So meditate and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you how to be his excellent representative. Amen. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit what he wants you to be praying for, who he wants you to be praying for. And trust God that because you are, he will find a way to enter into the life of that individual or that family or that unreached people group that you're praying for. So tonight I want to talk about unreached people groups. So tomorrow night, Sunday night, uh, and, and how many of them remain and, uh, and maybe we'll be able to get some up on the screen but uh, you, we all need to have 
an unreached people group, I think, that we're praying for because we want to conclude the Great Commission. It's anticipated now, YWAM working with Wycliffe, the Bible translators, that we will be able to get the Bible translated into every language in the world, which is just over 7,000 languages uh, by the year 2033. So that's not far away, folks. And we will finally have the Bible in every language. And some of the language groups, you know, may be only a tribe of two or three hundred. And, and they, they can't read or write. So we're putting the Bible into audible form and, uh, and, and giving them little device that's, that's operated by solar energy so that they can hear the word of God in their language and respond to God. So we will have no group in the world without the word of God beyond 2033. Uh, we are doing what we can as a mission to see whether or not we can't help be a generation that brings to a conclusion this great commission of Jesus where he wants the word of God to be in the tongue and the language of every people group. And, uh, and you know, if we've got unreached neighbors, which we all have, they too come into a classification of those who are outside the kingdom that need to hear. So it's true they can hear things on the radio if they want to or on the TV if they want to, but there's no better way of the gospel coming to someone than through two legs and to Jesus being in the skin of your body and bringing the gospel to them. So teach, uh, Jesus teaches us how to live by faith. And, uh, you know, it's when the grace of God comes to us in salvation that he changes us from the inside out, doesn't he? We, we no longer are the same people that we were before. And Jesus talks about the gospel of the kingdom. What is the gospel of the kingdom? Uh, and where is the kingdom of God? The scripture says the kingdom of God is within you. It's, you have become his realm. He is the king. And, and he's come to dwell in you and me. The kingdom of God is, is in you. And the kingdom of God is to be fully functional in you and me. And the kingdom of God is to be a people of worship, who what we were doing earlier today and what we will do shortly. So the kingdom works from the inside out. And we submit to the Holy Spirit and find our identity in Jesus, not in our job, not in our work, not in our retirement, not, not in all of the things. You know, you hear people say, well, well uh, who are you? And uh, say, well, I, they'll give you their name, but that's just your label. Well, what do you do is maybe the next question. So we tell them what we do. And so in a sense, we, we all identify ourselves on the basis of what we do or what we've done. And, and yet... The identity God is looking for is that, that he has come to live in me and my identity has become that I'm a child of God. Uh, I'm, I'm a worshiper of the, the living God. Uh, my identity's changed. I'm no longer a child of sin uh, who lives outside the kingdom, but the kingdom has come to dwell in me. Hallelujah. I'm not the same dude anymore, see. I've been changed by the power of God and, and given the privilege then of being his representative in planet earth. Well, my, so the scripture then tells us that we've been given the ministry 
uh, of reconciliation. Bringing the gospel to the lost is basically what that's talking about. To reconcile the lost that they might come out of their lostness to Jesus. We overcome evil with what? With good. Amen. Jesus didn't call upon 10,000 angels when he went to the cross. He could have, but he went to the cross uh, in order to take upon himself the, the pain and the struggle and the suffering that the world was in because of its uh, rejection of the Most High God. And when Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death and hell, he then offered to us eternity. So we have come into eternity. Are we living in that? Well, whether you know it or not, you are. (laughs) You are already eternal. You are not going to uh, pass away when you die. You have a resurrected body. Hallelujah. So you're already eternal. And uh, I think, you know, many times we, we th- give so much attention to our bodies, which is only about one-third of who you really are. So if I was to draw a circle and then, you know, turn it into three parts, you've got your body, your soul, and your spirit. So your body is your f- five senses and, and your bone, flesh, and blood. Your soul is your will, mind, and your emotions. And over here in your spirit, you've got your intuition, you've got your uh, conscience, and you've got your, what's the other one? Your imagination. Those, those are the three parts that make up your spirit. So, so you see, two-thirds of who you are is invisible. Your spirit, your intuition, your conscience, your, if you've got a bad conscience you go to the hospital and say doc I've got a bad conscience you know, I'm, I'm struggling with condemnation uh, could you give me a transplant he might want to but he can't do it can he because as real as it is that we all have a conscience no one can see it but it's there it's as real as the chair you're sitting on And so the reality of who you are, two-thirds of you, we can't see. That's eternity. It will always be there. The bone, flesh, and blood is the part that goes back to to dirt from which you came. But the heavenly body that God gives you is going to house you. And so let's agree together that before that time comes, we will make the Father proud of us. Amen. We will enjoy his presence. We'll walk with him. We'll talk with him. We'll listen to him. And we'll be involved in God things. And the mundaneness of the human experience doesn't need to journey with us anymore. But the excitement and adventure of walking with Jesus uh, is available. And that's what he's calling us into. So Jesus, would you help us to become men and women uh, who love your presence more than anything. And we don't have to be clever. We don't have to be gifted. We don't have to be known for what we can or can't do. And what we do need to be known for is that Jesus lives in me. And the fruit of righteousness is visible for people to come.
because they just want to be with me because there's something about Jesus that's attractive there's something about Jesus that's lovely and may we all Lord represent you that way that people will be attracted to you through us and we'll make a difference in our world because we're here in Jesus name we pray Amen thank you guys awesome I want us to do something guys I want you to stand up and I want you to get close enough where you can lay your hand on someone's shoulder and I want to pray this prayer from Ephesians over you all right Father, I pray for these men today in the name of Jesus, that the Father of glory may grant to them a spirit of wisdom and revelation that gives them a deep and personal and intimate insight into the true knowledge of you. And Lord, we we pray for them that their eyes of understanding, their eyes of their heart, the very center of their being may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit, so that they will know and cherish the hope that you have called us to, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and Lord, that we would know the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of your power that is in us who believe in Jesus name and everybody said amen amen Amen. Amen. all right we're going to do our final thing for today to seal all that God has done you know you have a lot of information and a lot of things to to do something with amen and uh, I remember when my when I was considering about being a pilot You know, my grandfather said, well, I'll teach you to be a pilot. I said, really? He said, yeah, you come out to the farm and you can pilot here and pilot there. (laughs) That wasn't the kind of pilot I wanted to be. All right, you guys can have your seats if the the band wants to come up. And uh, we're going to do our final thing today, which is have communion. If I can get two guys uh, to bring me this uh, table in front here. And... uh, Let's do this in the beginning. Let's just go ahead and grab the elements, and you can have it at your table ready to go. All right? You guys can come on up and get the elements. Take one of each. And uh, someone get it, get four for the band, too. Yeah, if you want, get like a plate uh, off the table there and put four of each things on there. And, uh, yeah, there you go. There is a bell that calls to life. 
established the priesthood he did something interesting to the priest he put some blood on his ear so that you would always be listening to him he put some blood on his thumb because we're the hand of God and you can reach out and touch someone and he put it on his right toe because he wanted him to walk in the way of holiness And the blood affects every area of our life. And I just want to give you some benefits of the blood before we take communion today. The blood of Jesus, it demonstrates God's justice and righteousness. Because you have accepted the blood, you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The blood shows that God has forgiven us. The blood pays a debt that we could not pay. The blood gives us peace and reconciliation. It makes us in right standing with God. It wipes all of our mistakes away. The blood cleanses our conscience from dead works. You know, Probably the worst thing that the enemy can put on you is guilt, shame, and condemnation. Not only does he lead you down the wrong path, but then he condemns you for being on it. But the blood wipes away the guilt, the shame, and the condemnation. Hallelujah. The blood gives you confidence to enter the holiest presence of God. Without the blood, we couldn't go there. But because Jesus shed his blood on the cross, we can go into the Holy of Holies. The blood prevents death from harming you. Do you remember 
when God led his people out of Egypt, he told them to put some blood on the doorpost. Death couldn't enter that home. When it saw the blood that was applied, it couldn't go in. His blood speaks of better things like grace and mercy. Did you know that God's blood talks? It speaks, and it speaks of better things. The blood sanctifies you and sets you apart. God says, I've chosen you. You are mine. It sets you apart. It sanctifies you. His blood contains life. There's life in the blood, and it delivers us from death. The blood gives us mercy. It's a living hope and an inheritance. Because Jesus shed his blood, he marked us as joint heirs with him. Hallelujah. The blood is more precious than silver and gold. There's no amount of mineral on this earth that can purchase the blood. The blood is more costly. And Jesus gave his blood to us. His blood cleanses us from all sin. It washes. His blood washes you from sin. He purchased you, and we belong to him. We are a blood-bought church. Hallelujah. He purchased us with his blood, the greatest investment that added value to you. His blood helps you overcome accusations. We are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. No matter what lie the enemy can tell you, you can overcome it with the blood. What does it mean to plead the blood? It means to tell what the blood has done for us. That's what it means to plead the blood. Are you ready this morning to receive the elements? You guys got your elements and you're ready? Hallelujah. Father, we come before your table this morning. And we give you thanks and praise for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. And, Lord, everything that was spoken last night and today, may the Holy Ghost remind us. May he quicken us to it. May he bring it to our attention so that we can do it. We are doers of your word. And we give you thanks and praise for your goodness in Jesus' name. The night that he was betrayed. Jesus took bread, and he broke it, and he gave thanks, and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Because his was broken, ours can be fixed. So let us take of the bread of life. same manner you know Jesus knew what his blood represented and he was saying thanks to God to his disciples for the blood that he knew he was going to shed and Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks and he said take and drink this is my blood which was shed for you let us drink Hallelujah. And just give God some praise for what he's done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father.
Thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, we give you thanks and praise and glory. Thank you for healing us. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for training us and teaching us and equipping us. Hallelujah. And empowering us. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God forevermore. Praise your holy name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Were you glad you came these two days? You know, sometimes it takes some effort. But you come here, we feed you. You can kick back and relax. And you can get information. You can get divine revelation. And I'm so thankful for you guys that have come. I'm thankful for, for Dottie and for Lisa and for Melissa and for Kelsey and for Nadine and for Devin and for Nelson and for Devon and for Josiah and for all you guys, for my brother-in-law, Cal. Amen. This is a great time. Next year, what are we going to have in October? We're going to have another Everyday Hero Conference. Amen. And we ought to fill this place. Right? I don't know what the theme will be, but God does. But uh, we ought to fill this place. Amen? You know why? Because you guys are world changers. You can start by changing your world where you're at. Begin where you are. Amen? Start from there, and then God will lead you. God will direct you, and God will guide you. Amen? Well, I hope you have enjoyed yourselves, man. I hope that you felt God here, and you got something. And... uh, Amen. God bless you. Have a great and wonderful rest of the day.